Imagine this. You and one other suspect have been arrested for a crime. You are taken into separate interrogation rooms where the cops give you two options. You can either confess that you and your accomplice committed the crime, or you can stay silent and not confess. Here's the catch. If you do confess and your partner does not confess, you will go free. If you do not confess, but your partner does, then you will be convicted of the maximum sentence. If you both confess, you will both receive mild sentences. If neither of you confess, you will both be free within hours. What do you do? What I've just described to you is the famous game theory called the prisoner's dilemma. Why do I bring this up? Because it illustrates an idea that Mark Papermaster, the CTO of AMD, laid out for me to describe just how he thinks about getting ahead in the industry. Some wars don't end. I mean, when you're competing to win on capability with your direct competitors, that's the capitalism that our society is based on and everybody benefits from that. So that war doesn't change. And there's other wars that aren't good. So you, you hear the phrase coopetition. What, what does that mean? It means for the technology industry to thrive, you've got to be clear on where we're going to duke it out and, and go head to head with one another on capabilities. But where do we need to cooperate? AMD has had a long and complex history. There were times when coopetition was required. And there were other times when Mark and AMD CEO Lisa Sue were forced to go out on a limb and push AMD to a point no company would go to in order to win the war for computing power. So how did AMD make the right bets? What was the X factor that propelled AMD from the brink of defeat to the winner's circle? And how does our story of the prisoners end? We're diving into all of that on this episode of Business X Factors. I'm Jeremy Bergeron, VP of Strategy at Mission.org, and this is Business X Factors. Each week, we'll take a look at the secret sauce that takes companies to the highest levels of success and unpack how they got there. We'll explore how these organizations are run, what's special about the people, culture, and processes that make it all happen. What is technology for? Our friends at Highland believe technology is for transforming the way you work, for delivering complete information when and where you need it so you can be more agile, more empowered, more connected through each interaction and in every relationship. Highland believes in technology thoughtfully designed to create better customer experiences. Highland is your X factor for better performance. Go to highland.com forward slash insights to learn more. That's H-Y-L-A-N-D.com slash insights. Without a doubt, technology has been instrumental in elevating the way we live and work. Mark knows this more than most having had an insider's view of technology revolution since the early 1980s. 
Mark spent more than 25 years with IBM, where he had oversight over the development of microprocessor and server technologies, among other things. Then, in 2008, Mark accepted a position at Apple, where he worked directly with Steve Jobs and played a key role in the development of the iPhone 4. iPhone 4 was, for me, a lesson, I'll call it, in technology courage. It was new everything. The processing technology was new under, underneath. It was using new technology. No, we had to work very closely with the semiconductor partner at the time. It had a completely new industrial design, glass front and back, a CNC metal band around the outside. It had vivid display. It was bringing on a new interface. We all take it for granted now. It's called FaceTime. But that was brand new. So it was new across the board, new cameras, you know, on and on, every subsystem. And so what I learned in an incredibly short period of time, I was only at Apple a couple of years, but what I learned working for Steve is if you take on a high risk, but put the risk management around, get the right team behind it, get a team that's passionate and committed and have that shared vision that what you do can really have an impact on others. It's incredibly motivating. I was motivated. Our teams were motivated. And so what I realized is that I was looking to do that same kind of impact on where I had spent most of my career, and that's computing. Working on that project with Apple taught Mark that taking on hard challenges is often worth the initial struggle. And that's why he jumped at the opportunity to enlist with AMD when no one else would have. AMD had a history of success in creating processors, microprocessors, and semiconductors. But the recession in 2009 forced AMD to lay off more than 1,000 people, and 1,400 more layoffs followed just a few years later. I had partnered with AMD in, in the past in technology, and I just knew it to have such a brilliant and innovative engineers. But at the time, AMD was going through challenge, technology challenges. I'd mentioned earlier, roadmap challenge. And so a lot of people, when AMD approached me, said, Mark, you'd be crazy be absolutely crazy to take that job. I mean, that's the last place you want to go. I looked at exactly opposite. I mean, in part, you know, I'll say that Apple experience got me to where I loved the challenge and the opportunity of what could you do if people bought into a technology vision and, and how they could really change the industry. And for AMD with that storied history, it was about bringing competition back, bringing innovation back to where there's frankly a stagnation. Think about PCs at the time, the generation after generation, they weren't getting better. They really needed a punch of innovation. The same thing across what we felt we could do in uh, gaming and in server computing. So it was just that, that couldn't be passed by. Early on in its history, AMD had been known in Silicon Valley as a disruptor and had built a reputation for its PCs and their processing power. But when Mark joined AMD, the industry was moving in a new direction, and there were worries that AMD was falling behind their competitors in the world of modern technology advancements. Lisa soon I joined about the same time, and then she became CEO in 2014. And we both came here for the same reason. And that is AMD is a storied company of innovation in Silicon Valley. It's, it's over 50 years old. And just example after example where AMD was disruptive in the industry and driving technology forward, really bringing competition. But 
AMD at the time, when you go back 10 years ago, had a lot of challenges. It had had all those successes, but with the successes, there had been downturns, there had been decisions made that were impacting it, its, its ability to grow. And in fact, talk about motivation. You can't get more motivation than that. You always hear that sort of trite phrase, well, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, guess what? Survival and, and the ability to create a, a vision that can thrive when you're in a downturn market and, and shrinking in size, that's a motivation. So, you know, it really laid the premise for a number of bets that had to be made. Really not one, not two, but a number of bets and risks that Frankly, I don't think most any company in the tech sector could have done. But we were in a position where it, it needed to take a you know a very, very aggressive strategy. Equally important to deciding what we were gonna do was deciding what we weren't gonna do because we had to downsize before we could expand. So we had to make some tough decisions, Jeremy, but we made them and we moved very, very swiftly and made those bets. And the incredible innovation that is here at AMD, you know, really rallied around it. AMD needed to refocus. It needed to find a new way of doing things. And under leadership of Mark and CEO Lisa Su, AMD was about to go through a painful shakeup. They were losing the war and desperate times called for drastic measures. You, you talked about some of the threats to AMD. What were the specific threats to AMD and what kind of changes needed to be made? Sure. And I'll focus first and foremost on technology and product roadmap because that's my focus as CTO and running the technology silo for the company. And really, the threat was the fundamentals were changing the industry. Data was starting to explode. There's starting to be, you know, embedded sensors everywhere, and you needed to be much more efficient in processing all this data. You look at what was going on from a, a graphic standpoint, the mobile phones were coming out with much more vivid and realistic displays. When you have that kind of display on your phone, you're going to want even better graphics if you're a gamer and you want that resolution. You want it to be almost a transported where you feel you're truly in a virtual space that mimics reality. And so all those trends were going on that needed higher and higher performance computing. But what was the trend going against that? What was going against that was, from a macro standpoint, we were getting less and less boost from each semiconductor technology node. Used to be Moore's Law would, you could just bank on each new semiconductor technology node, giving you a big bang for performance, but also at less size, less power, and at the same cost. So Moore's Law is not dead, but the traditional Moore's Law is really slowed. So that, that puts even more focus and, and dependency on design. So if you're getting less out of the that process semiconductor technology, then you've got to put get more out of design. And what was uh, the challenge we had is you look at our CPUs and our CPU roadmap at the time was challenged. It had dropped off the competitive curve. We had great graphics, but we needed to boost our graphics. AMD needed to be more thoughtful with how it was using its existing semiconductor technology to create more powerful graphics. And while it may seem counterintuitive to face these threats, AMD had to retreat in order to eventually move forward and gain ground again. There was any number of pivots. From a culture standpoint, for myself, partnering with, with Lisa Sue, partnering with the other executives, we had to pivot right away on the culture of execution. 
Uh, Lisa and I both had a heritage coming out of the years at, at IBM, and IBM was a storied technology execution engine, bringing many innovations to the industry. And so the trick was keeping all of that innovation that AMD was storied for, just being able to disrupt the industry, but layering on that a strong execution engine. And so one, it, it starts from, I said earlier, straight talk, and you have to have transparency. I remember when I first joined, there was a project, a chip design we were getting out, and uh, the team took me through the status, and they said, you know what, we're right on schedule, might be late about a week. And then one month later, they came back and said, you know what, we're six months off. And, and so that's not transparency. That can have just been learned in, in a few weeks of time. And so what it really took was really getting folks to embrace that spirit of, of transparency, not adding bureaucracy, but adding rigor to everything that we did. And there's a trick to that. People think, oh, you have to add process. You need all these rules. And they end up building a bunch of bureaucracy. No, that's not the right way. But to add rigor and to have accountability so that you actually do what you said you're going to do, that's what's key to be married with the innovation that was always at AMD. And we're going to focus on our customers. And that combination was a pivot. You said, what's the pivot? The pivot was to take the innovation AMD always had and have it married with a, a culture of execution and transparency and a maniacal product focus on high performance. Before they could level up their product performance, they first had to reshape and redefine AMD's culture. And that meant losing some people along the way. It was a tumultuous time because not everyone did buy in. And so folks that didn't buy in, they left and that's okay because you, you need to believe in the vision. If, if you're in the technology sector, it's hard. I don't care what company you're at. We are a, a demanding uh, sector in the industry because you need a very deep knowledge of what you're doing. The schedules are tough. You look at the consumer cycle, PCs, graphics, new model out every year. If you're at the if you're in the data center, it's every you know 18 to 24 months. You can't miss a cycle. Now, some folks left, and that's okay. But the folks that stayed, they were amazingly committed to win. You know, being again, being the smaller competitor, it was just personal. It was personal to every employee in AMD. It's personal to the executive leadership team. And wow, that creates a special environment. Competition was at an all-time high, and downsizing left them with a dedicated, ready-to-work team. But it also meant cutting budgets and rethinking how and where they should invest their time and money. There was a stage at AMD where funding for R&D was reduced. Yes. How did you overcome that obstacle? Because if anything is going to take a hit in the business, especially at AMD, to me, it can't be R&D because that's like the lifeblood. I mean, it, a lot of companies talk about innovation. AMD literally has to be innovating. They've got to be doing it. So how did you navigate that? Because if R&D took a, a hit in, in budgets, yeah, how do you overcome that? That seems uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, now you're going back seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago, because that was a tough time. We got our new products out. We're now in nothing but a growth mode. We've doubled the number of engineers in the last three years, and our R&D budget is just going with the rate of the growth of the company. But <laughs> back to your question, you go back seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago, I had to lead that very difficult task of cutting the budget. And you have to prioritize because you're right, the turnaround of a technology company has to have great investments in technology. And so the prioritization was 
Again, focus, recognizing if we're going to be the leader in high performance, that has to be built on the engines, the CPU and the GPU engines. That's when you buy AMD, you want the best CPUs and GPUs, and then you want all of the solution capability bundled around that. But if you don't have the, the best CPU and GPU that you can buy, the rest doesn't matter. So we focused on the fundamentals, getting that CPU, GPU, and the enabling software to be leadership. And other areas, Jeremy, did have to be cut. Mark and his team took this opportunity to reset their focus. They realized they didn't need to build it all and try to duke it out with their competitors on everything. Instead, they needed to focus on the competitive technology they could bring to the table while leveraging the resources other companies already made available. And it's decisions like that, understanding when to cooperate and when to fight, that have really set the tone for AMD as it stands today. With the staff cut down and the budget for R&D sliced, counterintuitively, AMD was finally in a place that facilitated the ability to win the ultimate war, the one for the future. So how did Mark use an idea that encourages a certain type of contention to build AMD into the ultimate fighting force? And how are our prisoners holding up? Find out after the break. If you run a business, you have information. Loads and loads of information across different channels, systems, and silos. How can you connect the dots to make sure the right information gets to the right people who need it? Highland helps more than half of the Fortune 100 companies do just that by providing them with the tools they need to digitally transform and create more meaningful connections with the people they serve. Highland is your X factor for better performance. Go to highland.com forward slash insights to learn more. That's H-Y-L-A-N-D.com slash insights. In business, Collaboration isn't a quicker avenue to success. It is oftentimes a necessary precursor to success. No sector is this more true than in technology. According to Mark, uniformity in certain technologies is the key that makes devices across the board useful to consumers. If the various components can't talk to one another in a standardized way, then uh, none of us win. Things like the standards of how the computing elements and the memory and the connectivity, the I.O. connectivity, how all of that works together, we need to collaborate on. We need to collaborate on security. We're going to have wars on the product. We're going to have wars to get the best talent, each of us in our own companies. But we're going to cooperate where we need to, to make sure that everybody trusts that, that this whole technology ecosystem can meet their needs going forward. Take the example of the Twitter peak, the mobile device I'm sure you've never heard of. In 2008, Twitter actually developed a device that could be used to access Twitter, and only Twitter, among its many shortcomings, including that it quite literally only peaked at tweets, displaying only the first few words to the user, the key to its failure was timing. Cell phones already existed, and smartphones were only a few months away from market. Rather than develop both a system for engaging with tweets on mobile and a functioning mobile device, 
Twitter should have exclusively focused on the former while leveraging partnerships with existing tech to do the latter. AMD believes that cooperation is necessary for long-term sustainability, but that doesn't mean it's cooperation above all else. They understand that exploring differing perspectives and pursuing healthy competition still plays a significant role in innovation. How important are contrarian views to driving innovation at AMD? Well, it's fundamental. I, I mentioned earlier that I, I like what I call creative contention. It's fundamental to how we get things done. And frankly, when you put teams together, you actually want to, you got to do some things to seed the teams to make sure you have that creative contention. So what do I mean by that? Typically, when we put a team together, you have to look at the makeup of it. You don't want everyone of the same exact skill class. They're all experts in a very narrow piece. You do need that expertise, but you want folks that have a varied expertise. So you want that narrow expert, but you also want that broad thinker on the team. You want to have folks that are uh, known to be a little bit difficult to work with. They're going to collaborate at the end of the day. We're going to come together and get a product out. But you want someone thrown into that team that's going to challenge the traditional thinking. And you really need demographic diversity. You want folks of different backgrounds because they just have different experiences that they bring to bear. So it's really about diversity of expertise, diversity of experience, and diversity of background, and really thinking about how you put teams together. And when you do it right, you get what I call this creative contention. And it's just beautiful to watch the kind of ideas that come out. Wait, did you just hear what I heard? Have folks on the team who are difficult to work with? Yes, that's exactly what he said. Cognitive diversity makes a group smarter, and it's actually the lack of chatter or discussion that you want to avoid. According to the Harvard Business Review, studies also show that most mergers and acquisitions don't fail because of conflict. They fail from the organizational silence that stems from the fear of conflict. This is the same reason that if you're looking for signs that a romantic couple is about to split, not talking is a better leading indicator than fighting a lot. At AMD, teams are set up to collaborate with each other and also to outdo each other. They are built to create products for the present and be prepared for the future. How are you able to frame, actually frame problems correctly? Because it seems like that puts you on the right side of innovation. And it seems like that means you're winning and continuing to win. What are your thoughts on that? No, absolutely. It starts with a foundation of focus. Again, the advantage we have being smaller than some of our larger competitors is uh, we have incredible focus on what we're trying to do. We know the experience that we're trying to give our, our end customers. We know the, the difference we're trying to make. So we have that focus. And if you have product focus, then you enable the engineers. Fundamentally, you've got to create first a culture that allows them to do their very best. What I drove across the engineering team is, is a culture of problem solving. You know, if you know what it is you're trying to do and why you're trying to, to, to deliver that product, that performance, that experience from the end customers, then you can be a problem solver. Engineers love to be problem solvers. So what is it that's preventing us from achieving that goal? Let's talk about the problems and let's be, secondly, let's be transparent. 
If you're not communicating transparently to one another, if you get any politics in there, forget it. You're doomed. You better you better have nothing but straight talk on how you're solving the problems and what are the problems that need to be solved. Then you got to collaborate on that. You've got to have a culture of collaboration. And, and by the way, when I say collaboration, that doesn't mean you don't have contention. You're going to have some contention. I just, I always require it be healthy contention. It's not personal. And then you, you manage the risk and you execute. And so we brought that foundational culture with those elements behind it. And then we implemented teams that leapfrogged one another. So while one team was working on generation one, there's already an advanced team saying, hey, I'm banking on you being successful. What do we need next? How do I build on what you've done and make it even better? And so a culture that allows teams to really solve problems and work together, and then teams are structured that you do not miss a beat. In our, in our sector, Jeremy, you can't come out with a great product and then miss the next generation. That's just, yeah, you just can't well. do it. And so we, we created a structure that makes sure that we're there each and every product cycle. Let me take it back to the top, to our story of two prisoners. Remember, we have two prisoners who each have the option to confess to a crime or to stay silent. If one confesses, the other is convicted to the maximum sentence. If both confess, both are convicted on smaller charges. And if neither confess, both walk away scot-free. Their situation is one of my favorite game theories and is a concept that was developed to understand decision-making during war, but its applications extend far beyond that. In essence, the prisoner's dilemma provides a framework for understanding how to strike a balance between cooperation and competition, and this is a useful tool for strategic decision-making. So what does the prisoner's dilemma have to do with Mark, AMD, and business in general? It's a guide for weighing the pros and cons of collaboration versus competition. And it's the perfect representation of AMD's secret sauce. At AMD, there was a desire to win their contracts, build the best PCs, and disrupt the industry. But those were small battles compared to the bigger war to simply survive. AMD needed to come up with a new way to think, to cooperate, and compete at the same time in order to win the ultimate war. And thanks to their X factor of knowing when to fight and when to collaborate, AMD has not only survived, it has thrived. Business X Factors is brought to you by our friends at Highland. For over a decade, Highland has been named a leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for content services platforms, leading the way to help people get the information they need when and where they need it. More than half of 2020 Fortune 100 companies rely on Highland to help them create more meaningful connections with the people they serve. When your focus is on the people you serve, Highland stands behind you. Highland is your X factor for better performance. Go to highland.com forward slash insights to learn more. That's H-Y-L-A-N-D.com slash insights. You've been listening to Business X Factors created by mission.org and brought to you by Highland. 
If you like this show, please be sure you subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app. We'd also be so grateful if you rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, as this helps ensure that more listeners find the show. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and I'll catch you next time on Business X Factors. Business X Factors.